James chapter 3 is where you will find our text for today. And our text today focuses on relationships, really, at its heart. Um, how, how we are in relationships, how we form them, how we keep them, how we manage them. And friends, this is something we don't think of often, but it's, it's a big part of our life, isn't it? God has created us in His image, and part of that is that we bear as he bears in the Trinity, relationships. Only our relationships don't exhibit perfect unity, as the Trinity does so often, doesn't it? In fact, if I were to ask right now if we could all give a moment and and speak and talk about relationships, I think we'd probably learn that each one of us have relationships that are very strained, we have a whole variety of relationships that, that we deal with at all times, don't we? Some that, that are good, some that have lots of issues. Perhaps you even find yourself right now estranged from someone that you're very close to. Perhaps a sibling or a parent or a child. Relationships are difficult. They're difficult to manage because every relationship outside of our relationship with God involves two sinners. Influenced by a bunch of sinful thoughts and sinful advice and, and, and sinful desires. And these things work their ways out as we deal with each other. Our text today is going to talk about, uh, again, it, it frames itself really in the idea of relationships. Uh, that if we, and, and in relationships, Two ideas. One is that there is godly wisdom that we can pour into our lives, that we can pour into our relationships. And if we pour this godly wisdom into our, our relationships, then we reap fruitful joy, peace. We want that with others, right? But when we also reap, or when we pour in what this text is going to tell us, is worldly wisdom. It is arrogance and pride and envy, and it reaps strife. Now, these two things should seem pretty uh, easy for us. You know, I always think of like the cartoons when I was a kid, you know, and, and uh, you know, Tom and Jerry, I don't know, they'd be thinking of something and... The, you know, the angel's on one shoulder and, and the devil's on the other shoulder and they're, they're both talking to him, right? And it seems pretty clear. Do this, no, don't do this. But the truth of it is, is that worldly wisdom is not all that clear when it speaks to us. That, that we would say, no, we should disregard this. This is evil. This is bad. This will lead to bad things. In fact, so often it disguises itself as good. And the problem that James is addressing here is that in the church... Sometimes, us who are believers, teachers, will in fact operate and give advice based on worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom. There's a radio program. It's very popular. Uh, It's a Christian radio program. It's a counseling program. I'm not going to say the name, but you might have already figured it out. And uh, it's been popular for a long time. And the, you, you, people call in and they talk to the Christian 
experts on whatever topic. They're, they're psychiatrists and psychologists. And I don't have hair in large part because I used to listen to this station. I used to listen to this program often. And, and, and what you will hear is, is someone will call in and they'll spend five minutes maybe explaining to this expert from their one-sided opinion of everything that's wrong with this relationship that they're in. And then the, the people hosting the radio station, they don't say, well, do you perhaps have sin in this as well? They don't, they don't diagnose that. They don't say, let's look and see what the Bible says about this subject. In fact, often what they'll hear, and, I, and I've heard them say this a number of times in one way or another, someone will call in and they're in a situation where they're just not happy. They haven't been happy for a long time. There's, there's lots of pressures. There's lots of difficulties. It's, it's a hard, difficult relationship. And, and at the end, the advice is, is, well, you should be happy. God wants you to be happy. I've heard them say you should leave your spouse. Because you're just not happy. You've tried for a long time. Now friends, that might sound like good advice, but it is absolutely against what the Word of God says. And how dare us hold the banner of Christ, frame, the, frame our worldly advice in a way that says that it's godly advice. If you have your Bible open, look with me at James chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 13 and read down through verse 18. This is God's Word. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such Look at it in quotes. Wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For if you, <clears throat> for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every and evil and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Pray with me. Father, I pray that this morning you would open our hearts to your word. You would open our lives to your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would reveal within each of us Sin and disobedience. Father, I pray that you would, through the work of your spirit and your word, create peace within our relationships, within our relationships inside this church, within the church itself, Father, that you would maintain the unity of peace here, that we may serve you, that we may have an abundant crop, an abundant harvest of righteousness here. Father, we love you. Teach us now as we look to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If we look at today's text, we will find, uh, again, most of what we have in the epistles, the New Testament epistles, 
are conflicts, issues that have risen up in the church. And James is, is no exception. Here in, in, the, in next week's sermon, we'll look, there's some major issues going on in the church between individuals. And so James begins to address this. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the point of what it is, is James has talked a lot about what faith looks like, right? We've been through these passages. Faith works. Should, say you say you have faith, I will show you my faith. Because you can see by my life that I have genuine and true faith. Uh, James talks about what faith looks like. He says he, of an individual that would say to someone who is needy and cold and hungry, you know, just, just by words, oh, go get warm and, and eat lots. It does nothing. That's not real faith. James is still on this idea of what is genuine faith. What does faith look like? And today, he's going to talk about a faith that has wisdom, godly wisdom. The point of what James is saying, if you look at verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. So what James is saying is the, the way that we react to others, the way that we react in our relationships, the way that we <coughs> love others, speak to others, a lot of these are heart issues, the way we, 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 we feel about others. Are we just trying to use others to get ahead? Or do we genuinely, truly, humbly love other people in the relationships that we have? James says you should be able to look at a person and the way that he lives and the way that he interacts with others. And you'll see whether or not the faith that they proclaim is genuine. Now, we've all seen this, haven't we? Surely by now, individuals have come into your mind that you know of that might have known all the right answers. They could have been some of the brightest people when it comes to the Bible. They would pass the Bible drills. They could give you a verse on everything. But they were horrible when it came to dealing with others. In fact, they used their knowledge as a way to put themselves ahead. Has anybody been beat down by one of these types? They have all the answers. They know all the right answers and you don't. And they're going to make sure that you know that they know it. This is the kind of idea that James is talking about. How do we treat others? How do we regard? Do we, do we use godly wisdom in our relationships? And so we've got a lot of things to look at. This is a, a list text. There's lots of lists of things for us to look at. Um, Let's see, the first thing that we can see here is that genuine faith demonstrates godly wisdom. That's the first thing I want you to see is, is genuine faith demonstrates godly wisdom. Now, James starts off and he sets a trap here, as, as he's done in many places. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Could you imagine if you went out today on the corner and gathered a group of people or just wherever, if you go out to lunch this afternoon... Whoever you would run into today and say, are you wise? Who is wise and understanding among you? In our world today, nine out of ten people would say, well, I know something. Right? We all think ourselves to be experts nearly at every subject now. Because we all have Google. <laughs> <laughs> Who 
Who is wise and understanding amongst you? you? You have to think that James is beginning this, still building upon what he started at in chapter 3, where he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. So as he's writing to those in the church, he's writing and saying, who, who thinks you're wise? The, the idea, one, one, one preacher said, it's almost like he's setting up a, come sit under the tree. If you're wise, come here, because I want to show you something. Who is wise and understanding amongst you? And so perhaps some of the teachers are thinking, I'm glad that you have finally realized truly who I am, right? He's, he's setting them up. Who is wise and has understanding amongst you? And then, and then he lets the other shoe drop. If you say you're wise, if you say you have understanding, if you say you should teach... Is your wisdom shown in your life? Let them show it in a good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. James says, show me your wisdom in your life. If, if, you, wanna, if you want me to believe that you're truly wise, let me look at your life. Let me look and see what your life looks like. James here is not concerned primarily with your IQ but with your ability to display godliness. Here the wise are not necessarily the smartest guy in the room, but the one who has a life that's yielded to God. The, the, the wise one here is the one who everyone would say, that's who I want to follow. Do you get that? We have to be careful. We live in a day, in an age where wisdom Wisdom is a goal. Wisdom is the cure for all problems. If you listen to the news and you listen to issues of, of poverty, so often what is the answer is if we could just get them educated. If we could just get free college for everyone. If we could just teach them this thing. But friends, the reality about wisdom is this. Cognitive understanding, if it does not apply to the heart, if it does not apply to the actions, is nothing but empty knowledge. It's nothing but empty knowledge. And so James says, for the ones that are truly wise, here's what, here's what we should be concerned with in the church. Are you, are you wise? Are you wise to the things of God? Do you aspire to be a teacher? Does your life show it? Does your life show it? And now he's going to give a list of, of things. I'm going to, I want to, in the text here, he gives the negative and then the positive. I'll just be honest with you. It's a list text. I know how I am as a preacher. <laughs> We're going to talk about the words. And so I want to get the good words first, and then we'll group the, the negative words together at the end. Um, <laughs> Ray's laughing because he knows, he knows exactly what's, <laughs> what's going on here. He's been there. So let's look at these good attributes. Let's look at what godly wisdom is. Um, the, the things here that they say are godly wisdom. You look at these characteristics. First, it says that godly wisdom is pure. In fact, not only does it say, not only is it first listed, but it says first pure. Do you see that? How he makes it stand out? And then the second attribute, he says, and then. 
So, so that should really, <clears throat> really help us to think about this. What does it mean that it's first pure? Godly wisdom is first pure. Well, the purity of godly wisdom could be described, one, as the purity in that it is from God. It is not mixed. It's not intermingled with worldly wisdom. Friends, again, we have to be careful. Christianity today is, is, is at, a, at a place where often it is difficult to hear pure words of wisdom from God. There is this constant pull. Well, if, if we want to be relevant, we've got to add some things here. We can't say things the way that the Bible says it because our society, our culture won't have that. If we want to love them, if, if, if we want anyone to hear us, if we want this to happen, if we, if we, if we, if we, then we must interject some worldly wisdom alongside godly wisdom. And friends, I, I don't doubt the sincerity of many who do this. But we have to remember that first of all, godly wisdom is pure. It's from a pure source. It's from God's word. If we want to answer the questions of our day, if we want to answer the problems of our times, we must first look to the word. Not look to the world's answer you see, this is what a lot of, a, a lot of things try to do is, is, is they say, okay, so here's the problem and here's what all the scholars and stuff have said and here's the approaches to it. Let's look at these and then let's see maybe where the Bible might shed some light on it. Do you get that? Well, I appreciate the fact that individuals want to look at problems and then look to the Bible and say, well, where does that maybe look like something the Bible says? But the problem is, is that a pure way to get the Word of God? Purity would say, first we look to Scripture and we find out what the Scripture says and we're firm here and we understand and we know and then... Let's look and see if there's any wisdom because all truth is God's truth, right? So after we know what the Bible says, then we can look at these sources and say, is there wisdom here? Not based on what it says, but based on what the Word of God says. Are you with me? I feel like I'm the only one passionate about this, friends. It's everywhere today. Pick up Christian magazines. Listen to many Christian preachers. Listen to so much. It is psychology dressed with a few Bible verses thrown at it. And friends, it's killing churches. It's making us weak. It's making us impure. It's, it's, it's telling our children the Bible really doesn't matter. The world's answers are better and let's just find a few Bible verses to sprinkle on it. Do you get that? It's first pure. Friends, do you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Do you believe that God has given us in His Word what His Word says? All that is needed for godliness and righteousness in life. Do you believe that? Then turn here first. Come here first. Godly wisdom is pure. It's pure not only in its source. Sorry, i got to shed this coat again. I always try to start with it. 
It's pure not only in its source coming directly from God's word, but it's also pure in its intention by which it's being used. It is pure. And, and, and again, I'll have to tell you, I've, I've been guilty of this in the past and I've, I've had to repent and I've had to go to others and, and, and say, I'm sorry, because I, I was the little smart aleck guy, right? The Lord transformed me. I was saved young in life. I was called to preach young in life. I was ordained at 19. I don't know what they thought they were doing. Um, <laughs> I went to seminary and I thought I knew everything. And you know what? The more you actually learn and know, the more you realize how little you actually know. It's pure. Do you use the Word of God? Do you teach? Do you think about the Word of God in a way that's pure to build up others? Or do you try to use it as a way to gain advantage yourself? See, that's a big issue here, I think, that James is addressing. I think this is the the background of all that's going on, is that there were teachers in the church that were trying to establish themselves as teachers, and they knew the Word of God. They, They knew some truth, okay? They had listened to the, the Bible studies by the popular preacher. You know, they, they bought books by this guy. They had it all figured out. They knew the end time schedule. I don't know what it was, but it comes in many different forms. And so they knew this truth from the Bible. And they might have even sounded really smart. But in their heart, in their intention, what James is addressing is the reason why they're trying to know, the reason why they're trying to grow, the reason why they're trying to learn these things is not to build up the body and unity in Christ. It's so they can say, see, look what I know. Now follow me. You can't figure this out on your own. This is too tough for you. I remember there was a popular Bible teacher, um, and he would, he would get on TV, and he would have whiteboards all around the stage. I've already given it away if you know who I'm talking about. And he would fill these whiteboards with Greek and Hebrew words. And that's all he would do is talk about the Greek, talk about the Hebrew. And he taught in a way so that basically anybody that listened to him said, there's no way I could understand the Bible without his teaching. Do you get that? Godly wisdom is pure. It's pure in its source. It's pure in its motive. Second attribute. It's interesting how these are related. It says first pure then peace-loving. It's peaceable. Godly wisdom is peaceable. Now, it's important here. James, when he writes, he doesn't sacrifice peace for purity. And he doesn't sacrifice purity against peace. Are you with me? So he, I, I, And I think that's why he writes it in the way that he does. It's first pure, then peace-loving then it's peaceable. Friends, there are hills to die on. There there are things in which if we give up, we give up much more than we ever expected. One of which is the inerrancy of Scripture. We can look around and see those who have given up saying that this is God's Word, given up that fight, given up the idea of the battle of the Bible. And they have no leg to stand on whatsoever now. But friends, not everything is worth your blood. And that's where this godly wisdom comes from. So it's first of all pure. 
It's pure in its intentions. It's pure in its source. But then it's peaceable. It's, it's used in a way this pure knowledge, this pure understanding from God that we have, these pure intentions are used in a way not to create strife, but to build peace. But to build peace. Are you a peacemaker? Would that be said of you? I would hope it would be said of me. Are you a peacemaker? Third, godly wisdom is gentle or considerate. Um, this, is, this is interesting, this word here that's used. Um, William Barclay, who is one of the greatest experts of the meaning of Greek words in the New Testament, this is what he has to say about this word that's used here. He says, of all the words in the New Testament, this is the most untranslatable. It's a word which we can't just say in the English one thing. Does that make sense? It's richer. It's fuller. We don't use a word like this. We don't have one. And so he goes on to say that this word, one who has this quality, is one who knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a perfect right to condemn. He knows how to make allowances and when to stand on his rights. He knows how to temper justice with mercy. Douglas Moo, another New Testament commentator, writes, it indicates a willingness to yield to others a corresponding and a, and a corresponding unwillingness Unwillingness to exact strict claims. This is a quality, this gentleness, this kind of wisdom here. It's the wisdom that says, I don't have to keep pushing this. It's considerate. It's one, a lot of you guys laugh at me. If you've come on Sunday nights, we've, we've been through a lot of things and, and we've, we've talked about some different opinions and some different ideas. And, and I keep saying, some of you laugh every time I say it, I, I, I'm trying to be nice as I say this. <laughs> and, I, and I really mean that. It's something that God has taught to me. Don't be a jerk with the truth. Just don't be a jerk with the truth. Some of us need to know that. We need to hear that often. And, and so that's kind of what the idea here is, is, is somebody has every right to push it and to push and to push, but they're considerate. They consider this person might have a different context that they're working in. This person might have a different uh, uh, history and understanding. This person might be at a different walk with God than I am. Some things we don't need to die on. We don't have to push. We don't, we don't have to win every battle. When I went to serve in China, they put us in a room for training before we left America. International Mission Board did. And this guy came in and he said, I want you to say this because you're going to say it every day. Every day in China. He said, say it with me. Different is not wrong. <laughs> And I said it every day in China. <laughs> There's a lot of things where different is different. Just because it's different doesn't make it wrong. That's, that's godly wisdom. To be able to look at something like that, instead of fighting over things that don't matter, 
to defer to another. This is a quality that's said that Jesus possessed in 2 Corinthians 10.1. It's, it's, it's the same word used for elders in the church in 1 Timothy. Godly wisdom is a wisdom that shows mercy and grace. I hope you're, you're, you're getting this as we're... Th- I, I'm really trying to stress, I think what James is saying here, again, hold the right things and hold them in the right way. That's how you maintain godly relationships with others. Godly wisdom is reasonable or submissive, fourth attribute that's given here. Um, that it is able to defer to others, that it is quick to hear. Remember that in James, be quick to hear. It knows when to yield for the sake of peace. Again, some things are worth giving blood. They should be few. Most of the things that we deal with, especially with brothers and sisters within the church, they're they're things that we should be quick to to want to resolve in peace, to have different understandings, to have different ideas. You know, these are are good things. We don't all have to be exactly the same. I, I don't want you all just like me. I need you to bring a different perspective. I need a different perspective. We need new people here, fresh blood that can come and bring different perspectives, that can help us to see how to reach different people, different contexts, different ideas. Because let's face it, we don't know everybody that exists in this town. We don't understand all their circumstances. We don't understand all their needs. Do we have a wisdom that is reasonable, that it is submissive? Are are you okay to let some things go? Are you? Are you okay to say different is not wrong? It's just different. Are you willing to do that? I, I think we are for the most part. Change is, is something that always happens. Any living thing changes. Some people are so opposed to change, it's ridiculous. The only thing they change is their underwear, right? That's good. But everything to grow must change. Did your infant change as it became an adult? Yeah. Were some of those changes difficult? Yeah. I've got two teenage girls just about right now. (laughs) Are you willing to change? Do you have a submissive spirit? Are you willing to say, and again, what's the first thing? Purity. We're not saying change on the Bible. We're not saying change on what we believe. But are we willing to change in the things that the Bible does not prescribe? There's so much freedom that the Bible has given us. Things in in worship. You know, (laughs) all right, this is going to be a shocker. The hymnal was not infallibly written. (laughs) There it is. In fact, for many of you, if you would do research, the old song, I, I hear often, Not so much from us, but I hear, you know, the old songs, those are the good songs. Those are the songs that we should sing. They're the ones that have been around forever. I would challenge you to look in our hymnal at the date of many of these songs, and you're going to find that many of you predate many of these songs. What we think of is the old songs are just the ones that we're used to. But in different things, are are we willing to have to show this? Do we have a reasonable, submissive spirit? 
Are we willing to be okay with change, being willing to do things differently for the sake of others? Would you give up your comfort to reach new people for Jesus? It's a big question. James says that that's a godly attribute. That's godly wisdom. Fifth, godly wisdom is full of mercy and of good fruits. Many of these qualities that we've seen are qualities that echo throughout the Scripture. Um, in, uh, we see in the Beatitudes, gentleness, purity, peace. These are all blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Matthew 5 says it. Jesus underscored the importance of mercy often. Um, we should be merciful people. Being merciful means that we should not only have compassion for people that are suffering, but we should have compassion for people that have made dumb mistakes in life. Sometimes it's easy for us to be merciful when we see that something happened to somebody that wasn't their fault. But are we also merciful when we see somebody that's made bad mistakes? It gets a little little trickier then, doesn't it? But think about this. When God was merciful to you, when he sent Christ to die for you, when he redeemed you from your sin, it was the result of your own dumb mistakes, wasn't it? Were we attractive? Did God look at us and say, oh, that poor thing, he just couldn't help it. No, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is is that you are a sinner and that you have sinned and you have broken the law of God. You have offended God and you deserve His wrath and His punishment. And God would be holy and just to execute that justice upon us. But instead, He is merciful. And He sent Christ to save us. For all who would believe in Him, salvation is offered. That you may be saved from your sin. That God will give you His own Spirit to dwell within you. That you might come to know Him and love Him and serve Him. And no matter what you have done, it, it, it's forgiven. No matter what. Why? Because my sin could never be greater than my Savior's death. Nothing that I could do could ever outweigh Christ on a cross for my sin. God is merciful. This this wisdom is full of good fruits. Do you want good for others? Again, it's addressed kind of as the teachers, as people within the church. Do you want good for others in this church? I do. I want to see every person here. I pray for each of you. I pray, Lord, help them grow as a disciple. I don't know what God's plan is for each of you, but I want to see it happen, and I want to see you grow in it. I want to see you be faithful. Many of you, I pray, let them finish well. Don't give up. Finish well. God has a path for you. You can finish well. Do you look for good fruits in others? Do you try to encourage good fruits? Or are you more concerned about being right? Let me show you what I know. Six, godly wisdom is impartial. Um, The word here means not to take sides, not to be uh, partisan, not to play politics 
with the Word of God. And listen, this is a big temptation sometimes that you can hear as, as a pastor, as somebody who's, you know, studied the Word a lot. I can see this often. I see pastors. I was, I was at a ministry conference this last week and an individual, an individual, a pastor said, you know what? A lot of people in my church, it's really difficult to lead. It's really difficult. Some of the programs that we have that are dead and dying and should have been gone a long time ago, we can't get rid of them because a pastor back in the day manipulated the people and said, this is the greatest thing in the world and you need to serve it. Do we use the word of God to be self-serving? Are we manipulative with it? Uh, Seventh attribute, godly wisdom is sincere. It's not hypocritical. The the Greek word here is the idea of a of a play actor. Okay, and we all know this. Hollywood people, um, you know, it, nothing nothing <laughs> nothing makes me cringe more than you know. I love the Jason Bourne movies, and then Matt Damon, who made you know everything on being this shoot 'em up killer guy with guns, comes out and talks about how evil and bad guns are. Okay, <laughs> that's the idea. The people you see on the TV, they're not real. Here's a news flash for you. Even the reality people are acting these days, okay? Nothing's real. Are you a phony in your faith in how you deal with others? You know, um, some individuals will be evasive. They will hide truth. They, you can never pin them down on exactly what they'll believe. That's not the way that we should be. Godly wisdom is pure How we deal with others should be pure. It should be straightforward. It should not be self-seeking. It should not be arrogant. Do you exhibit these things? Well, we turned into a two-part sermon today. (laughs) Because I just finished one list and there's a whole other. Let me ask this. When we, when we look at all of this, when we think about what all of these attributes say, are these things that you see in your life? Are these things that you see in your relationships? Could you imagine what your relationships would look like if both people tried to exhibit these things? If both would defer to each other, if both didn't have to be right, if both were pure first, wanting the things of God in, in each other's life? Could you imagine how sweet and how uh, wonderful our relationships would be? Do you practice these things? We're going to close. And as we do, I want you to look at this list and think about it. Where here has God convicted you? Is there something on here that that, that God says, that's you? Maybe a specific person who you have difficulty with in a relationship has come to mind. As we close, I want to invite you to respond. I don't want to invite you to respond to me necessarily. I want to to, to invite you to respond to what God has shown you through his word today. Where, where, Where is it that God has shown you this needs work? You need to, you need to ask for forgiveness with this individual. Because as our text, as we'll see, putting this effort into relationships is absolutely worth it. It's hard work. It's it's hard work to maintain good relationships. There's that's all there is. 
Every relationship outside of your relationship with Christ is two sinners trying to make the best of something. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a, a, a close relative. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone who you've thought is your enemy all of these years. Are you willing to live a life that shows godly wisdom? 